There was a well-known preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He pastored um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He was a young guy of 19, 20 years old, and he had a church of 5,000 people. He is called the Prince of Preachers. In fact, when Charles Haddon Spurgeon would preach, they said he didn't use a PA system. His voice can be heard throughout the auditorium. Well, one day, because of his popularity, a group of young ministers came to see Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and they made the request to be taken around the church facility. They wanted to get a tour. And so when he got done showing them the church facility, he said, gentlemen, I would like to show you the basement or the boiler room of the church. To which they replied, well, we're really not interested in that, but he insisted that they go down there and they see the boiler room. He went downstairs, and when he opened the doors, there were a hundred people on their knees praying for the church and for Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he said to these young pastors, this man is the boiler room of our church. It was a prayer-driven church. Charles Spurgeon was a prayer-driven Christian and pastor. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a prayer-driven Christian, or are you a spare-tire Christian? You say, what's a spare tire? Well, we've all had a flat tire before, and you have uh, the unsavory task of taking off your tire and putting the spare on, and we all know that a spare tire is only used in emergency situations. And so a lot of Christians are spare tire Christians. They only pray in emergency type of situations. You see, God wants us to be prayer-driven Christians. Now, when we talk about prayer, what are we talking about? A simple definition is prayer is talking to God. In fact, it is one of the greatest wireless connections that we have. And it involves more than just spouting off a laundry list to God. This is what I want. Prayer involves, obviously, praise, thanksgiving, confession of sin, petition in terms of what we'd like to see God do. Prayer is talking to God is one of the privileges that we have, and yet it is one of those things that we neglect on a regular basis. And when you talk about the frequency of prayer in the Bible, the Bible defines the frequency of prayer in two ways. First of all, there are set times of prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it's a great passage. It says before Jesus got involved in the hustle and bustle of ministry, it says that Jesus got alone with the Father to pray. Most of us struggle with set times of prayer. And by the way, the Jews were into rituals, and so they would have specific times of the day when they would pray. For example, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went up to the temple, remember they healed that man? They were going to that hour of prayer because they had set times of prayer. There's nothing wrong with scheduling prayer. In fact, if we don't schedule prayer, for most of us, it will not happen because prayer is hard work. Prayer takes discipline. And so we need to have those set times of prayer. Do you remember Jesus in the garden when he was in that moment of crisis and he wanted the disciples to basically support him through prayer? He went off a little bit of a distance to pray to the Father, and he said to them, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And when he came back, they were asleep. You and I would have been asleep. And you know what? They were tired. They were discouraged because Jesus told them at the Last Supper he was going to leave them. They had eaten a meal. It was late at night. They were tired. And then Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, could you not tarry with me for one hour? Man, I get convicted by that. 
Most of us struggle with 10 or 15 minutes of set time of prayer because we're fidgety. You know, we'll start praying and go, you know, there's too much dust on the blinds here. I need to dust this. And then we pull out our phone. We look at our day timer. Oh, I wonder who's on Facebook. Wait a minute. What am I doing? I need to get back to prayer. And if you're like me, I've had set times of prayer where I'm on my knees and I've fallen asleep while praying. And so when the Bible talks about the frequency of prayer, it's talking about set times of prayer. But then there's also praying without ceasing. This would be spontaneous praying. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says it's a command in the Greek. He says, pray without ceasing. And it's an interesting word in the Greek. It's used in extra-biblical literature to refer to a hacking cough. You know what a hacking cough is. You get that tickle in your throat, and you, you cough, and then it stops, and then you cough again, it stops, and then you cough again. And what do you do? You often take Robitussin in order to stop the coughing. Well, we're to have spontaneous prayer like that. We get a tickle in our spiritual throat, as it were, and we're to offer up balloon prayers to God throughout the day. We pray for our spouse, our coworker. We see a car accident. We hear about the war going on in Israel. We start praying to God. But unfortunately, too many of us drink the Robitussin of the world, and you know what it does? It suppresses that spontaneous praying. Most of us don't really struggle with uh, spontaneous praying. It's like the air we breathe. We have a conversation with God throughout the day. Most of us struggle with set times of prayer. Getting alone, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, in our closet and seeking the Father. And I think there are four reasons why we struggle with set times of prayer. Number one, I would say busyness. We all get busy. As a pastor, I struggle with it because I get busy and I like to do. Then there's the issue of laziness. Listen, prayer is hard work. It's easier to take your remote and click it and watch television. It's harder to get alone with the Father and pray because we're praying. We know God's there, but we can't see him physically. And so we struggle with laziness. We're tired. We're beat up. We're discouraged. We don't feel like praying. And then, of course, there is worldliness. We all can get sucked into the vortex of the world, and what happens is worldliness can encroach in our life, and as a result, we're not praying. And then I would add another one is discouragement. Many of us have been discouraged in our prayer life. We've prayed. We don't see an answer to prayer, so we say, what's the use? And we get discouraged, and we end up not persevering in our prayers. And so maybe you're struggling with having consistent time with God. Now listen carefully. Prayerless Christians are powerless Christians. Prayerless Christians are powerless Christians because if you don't have a consistent prayer life, you're going to miss. But if it's not consistent, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're not going to have a spiritual perspective on life. And what's going to happen is you're going to compromise in your life more and more, and you're going to become like the world, and the kingdom of God is not going to be your number one priority. You see, I talk to God through prayer. He talks to me through his word. It is an intimate relationship. That is the primary reason why I pray, is to have that intimate relationship with God. And that's what James is going to do here. James is going to talk to us about prayer. So I invite you to turn to the book of James, chapter 5. James chapter 5, we are looking at the subject of prayer and how to be a prayer-driven Christian. In James chapter 5, James is dealing in verses 13 through 20 
on the subject of prayer. Now remember, James opened his epistle with the topic of prayer. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 5, James says this as he opened up the epistle. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. See, James opens up his epistle with prayer because he's writing to a group of beleaguered Jewish Christians that were suffering at the hands of the rich. And many of them needed wisdom from God. They were being oppressed. Many of them were materially poor. And so James opens up and he says, look, pray for wisdom. Now when he closes the epistle in verses 13 through 20 of chapter 5, he's going to be dealing again with the subject of prayer. And so Prayer is important at all phases of our life. We are to be prayer-driven Christians. But many of us use prayer as a last resort. In fact, Oswald Chambers says this about prayer, quote, We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. It's not to be a last resort, and yet we all struggle with it. So the question is this, how can we be prayer-driven Christians? Well, James is going to give us several ways to be prayer-driven Christians. We'll look at the first three this morning, and then we'll pick up the rest of them next week. The first way that you and I can be prayer-driven Christians is we need to pray when we're hurting or when we're suffering. We need to pray when we are hurting or we are suffering. Notice what he says in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? And the Greek word there is referring to mistreatment because that's exactly what they were going through. These Jewish Christians were being oppressed by the rich. He says, If you're suffering, if you're being mistreated by others, notice what he says, then he must pray. And the Greek says, we're to be continually praying. In other words, we're to keep asking, we're to keep seeking, we are to keep knocking. These Christians were enjoined to seek God for strength and deliverance because they were being mistreated and they were suffering. Now notice James doesn't say, deal with your suffering by using worldly coping mechanisms. You know, a lot of people in our culture have coping mechanisms. We have them too as Christians. The question is, are they biblical coping mechanisms? Some people, when they're suffering, they resort to alcohol. Some people resort to immorality. Some people resort to a shopping spree. Some people resort to laying in bed all day. For some people, it's overeating. Whenever they're going through suffering or difficulty, their coping mechanism is food. We all have our struggles and our coping mechanisms. Some of them aren't necessarily bad, but some of them are not biblical. What James says we are to do is we are to pray. We are to seek the Lord when we're going through a difficult situation. Now, we all struggle at times with praying because many times when we're going through difficulty or suffering or mistreatment, we often say, well, you know, Lord, I have sought you and you're not dealing with my situation. I'm hurting and you're not helping me in my situation. And so what we do is we disengage from prayer because we are struggling in terms of seeing God answering our prayer. And listen, many times 
we are so broken, we don't know what to pray. We are hurting, we are suffering, we don't know what to say. We're empty, as it were, spiritually. In fact, I shared with you a number of months ago that when Laura and I went through with our daughter her drug addiction, there were periods of time where I was discouraged, I was drained, and I got on my knees or I'd lay in my bed and I would say, Lord, I can't deal with this. I don't even know what to pray, Father, because I'm so broken right now. I don't have the words to express. You ever been there before? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about what to do whenever we're suffering and we're hurting and we feel broken. In Romans chapter 8, here is what Paul says. It's not up on the screen. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we're broken, we're struggling. How does the Spirit help us? We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, here it is, intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. And so listen, the Spirit of God is our divine interpreter. We don't know what we ought to pray. We don't have the words when we're hurting. And so the Spirit of God is a divine interpreter who comes in and lifts our hearts to God because the Spirit and the Father are one but distinct, and therefore the Spirit can interpret what we're saying, and the Spirit knows what we need at that time. And so many times I've had to appeal to the Spirit because I've said, I'm so broken, I don't know what to pray. And listen, what I have found is suffering is God's greatest tool to drive us to our knees because when we talk about set times of prayer, Many times when we get distracted because of material possessions or because things are going well in our life, we drift in our prayer life. You know, one of the best things that God uses to bring us to our knees is suffering. He uses mistreatment. He uses difficulty. It drives us to our knees. And therefore, it is a good thing. And so maybe you're suffering this morning. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to seek him in prayer. I was reading a story about a young boy who was nine years old. His name is Willie. He lived in Atlanta, Georgia. He was out in his front yard, and this guy pulled up in a car and abducted him. Well, this kid Willie was a believer. He grew up in the church, and he knew a gospel song by the name of Praise Him. Well, this abductor took him around for three hours, and you know what Willie did? as he was about to be mistreated and he was dealing with that kind of suffering, he started to pray and then he started to sing in the car with his abductor right near him a gospel song. He began to sing the song, Praise Him. And he kept singing it and kept singing it. And the guy was getting vis uh, visibly agitated. Finally, he told the young boy, you need to shut up. Well, the young boy wouldn't shut up. So you know what he did? He he kicked him out of the car. He says, get out of the car. And the boy was rescued. And so the community leaders and pastors found out about what happened, and they called a community meeting that night at a Baptist church, and all these people from the community showed up. Well, the guy who had basically written and recorded that gospel song found out about this. Somebody called him. He was in New York City. He flew to Atlanta 
and ended up joining that boy, Willie, at the service, and they both sang the gospel song together and praised God for his deliverance at that point. You see, he was going through suffering, difficulty, and you know what he did? He prayed to God by praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hurting this morning. Maybe you're going through a difficulty in your marriage. Maybe you're dealing with a physical ailment. Maybe you got a cantankerous boss. Maybe there's something else going on. You have a wayward child. Or maybe you're just struggling in general with life. You struggle with anxiety or depression. I want to encourage you this morning through James's words, if any of you is suffering, you should pray. If you want to be a prayer-driven Christian, pray to God when you're going through difficulty. And you know what you pray for? Pray that God would deliver you. But also pray, God, if you choose not to deliver me, I pray for strength. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prayed for that thorn in the flesh. And he said, God, remove this thorn. There's nothing wrong with asking God to remove the difficulties of life. But God in his sovereignty said, no, Paul, that thorn is used for my purposes. And my grace is sufficient in your weakness for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God, if you're not going to deliver me, I'm asking you for the strength in order to persevere. So if you want to be a prayer-driven Christian, pray when you are suffering. Secondly, if you want to be a prayer-driven Christian, pray when you are cheerful. Notice what he says in verse 13. He said, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Is anyone joyful? He should sing songs of praises. You say, Mike, he doesn't say we're to praise, uh, pray here. He says we're to praise God. Well, listen, praise is a form of prayer. Remember what I said, prayer is not just spouting off a laundry list to God. Prayer involves praising God, thanking God, confessing sin. And so James says, is any of you cheerful? You need to offer up songs of praise to God. Now listen, this one tends to be harder for a lot of us because when we're suffering, that drives us to our knees because we don't like suffering. And we cry out to the one who knows that we know who can deliver us. And so it's easy to pray when you're suffering, but you know what? When things are going good in your life, sometimes we forget to praise God. And notice he says, are things going well? Are you cheerful? He doesn't say feel guilty. He says sing songs of praise. He doesn't say have a gin and tonic. He says praise the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be people of praise. And too often we forget to praise God and thank God for the things that he has done in our life. Why? Because we get complacent. When prosperity happens in our life, we end up forgetting God. And God had to warn Israel in the Old Testament when he prospered them. He says, I don't, I don't mind prospering you, God says. He says, but I don't want you to forget where the source comes from. What does it mean to praise God? It simply means we extol who he is. And the Bible says we're to do that. Listen to these verses, Deuteronomy 8.10, when Israel went into the land, notice what God said to Israel. When you have eaten and are satisfied, God gave them abundance. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. If God's blessed you with a nice house, a nice car, he's blessed you with material possessions, He's allowed you to be able to do things. Don't feel guilty. But what God wants you to do is he wants you to praise him. Because James says, are you cheerful? Praise the Lord. Psalm 105, the psalmist says this, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds known among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wonders. If God has blessed you, call on his name. 
Make his deeds known. Thank the Lord personally. Let others know what God has done for you. And then looking at it negatively, God punished Israel. He cursed them in Deuteronomy 28. And here's the reason why. Notice what he says in verse 47. Since you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart in gratitude for the abundance of all things. Listen, you didn't praise me. You didn't acknowledge me. You were pompous. You were self-sufficient. God says, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, thirst, nakedness, devoid of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. And so James says, yes, pray when you are suffering. But he said also, praise God when things are going good in your life. You know, we've seen that bumper sticker, life is good. You ever seen that? Maybe right now that bumper sticker is plastered across your life. Life is good for you right now. Don't feel guilty. Don't go, oh boy, there's a cloud storm coming and things are going to go bad. We can get paranoid. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to thank him. He wants you to praise him. You say, well, how do I do that? Do it verbally. When you're in the shower, praise him. Lord, I want to thank you for this warm shower. Lord, I want to thank you for my toothpaste and toothbrush. Lord, I want to thank you for um, indoor plumbing. Imagine if we didn't have indoor plumbing. Imagine if you had to go outside in the cold. Lord, I want to thank you for my refrigerator full of food. Lord, I want to thank you for that vacation. Lord, I want to thank you for my spiritual blessings in Christ. Verbally praise him. But the Bible also says do it through song. I remember years ago, it was 1988, I was going to school at Birmingham, Alabama at Sanford University, and uh, that year my team, the Miami Hurricanes, was playing for the national title. They were playing the Oklahoma Sooners. It was in the Orange Bowl when it was still standing. And I was getting ready to go to Miami for Christmas break. And I said, Lord, I would like two tickets to that game. I was growing in my walk with God, and so I went to Psalm 37.4 where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so I went to that passage, and I stood as we sing in that hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. I said, Lord, Your Word says that if I delight in You and if I put You first, You would give me the desires of my heart. And I said, Lord, You know I'd love to go to this game. I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan, but... Lord, I want you to know that if you don't want me to have these tickets, I'm fine with that because I want you more than I want these tickets. And so I went to the ticket master, God. He knew. And so I began to pray. Every day I'd claim that promise. Well, I went home for Christmas break, kept praying. Finally, New Year's Eve comes and I go to the Orange Bowl Parade. It's in downtown Miami. And while I'm there, I'm walking up this escalator, and there's a guy next to me. I had my best friend with me. Uh, he was the person I was going to give the other ticket to. This other guy was next to me, and as we're going up the escalator, he says, man, you wouldn't believe what happened. He said, somebody gave me a couple of tickets. And I said in my mind, Lord, what about me? What's going on here? So I kept praying. My faith was wavering. January 1st comes, New Year's Day, no tickets. So I was a little bit discouraged, but I said, all right, Lord. I said, maybe it's not your will that I have these tickets. That's fine. I'm going to keep following you. Well, the phone rings in my parents' house. This is a day before cell phones. And it's my dad's priest. His name is Mike. We call him Father Mike. 
Now, I called him in Arabic because I grew up in an Arabic home. Uh, the name Ammu, Ammu refers to that. So I said, hey, Ammu, how you doing? He said, aren't you going to say, Mike, Happy New Year? And I said, Happy New Year. And he said, listen, Mike, he says, uh, I got two tickets to the game, and I was wondering if you wanted them. I said, no. <laughs> God answered that prayer. And I learned two things that morning. Number one, God is not against blessing his children with the desires of their heart. And secondly, I learned that God is a Miami Hurricanes fan. <laughs> Wait, you said I thought that was Dallas or Ohio State. Nah. And you know what I did? I had to go pick up the tickets at his house. It wasn't a far drive. When I got in my car, I put in a cassette tape of praise music. And you know what I did? I began to praise the Lord. I was cheerful because God granted me a desire of my heart. Now, I'm saying, does God give us whatever we want when we want it? No, that's not the point. But many of us miss blessings because we don't ask God. And you know what? All the way there, I began to worship and praise God. I was cheerful. I was thankful for what he had done in my life. And so if you want to be a prayer-driven Christian, yes, pray when you're suffering. That will drive you to your knees. But you know what? Also praise God when you are cheerful. Do it verbally. Do it through song. Let others know what God has done for you. See, we have a tendency to forget God. And God is not against blessing his children. We don't want to go to the extreme of the prosperity gospel, but we don't want to go to the other extreme where we never ask God for things and we never praise him for the good father that he is. The Bible says we worship a good, good God. Well, there's a third and final way this morning that you and I can be prayer-driven Christians, and that is this. We need to pray when we are sick. We need to pray when we are sick. Notice, if you will, James 5, verses 14 through 15. He says, is any among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, James says here, if we're going to be prayer-driven Christians, we are to come to God when we are sick. We are to call the leadership of the church, the elders of the church, and we are to go to them, and we are to request prayer that we may be healed of our sickness. Now, the word sick here is used two different ways in the Bible. The first way that it's used is referring to someone who is physically sick, who has cancer, who has some type of ailment in their life. Fifty percent of the time in the New Testament, that word sick is used. For example, notice, if you will, Matthew 10, 8. You'll notice it up on the screen. Jesus said this. Heal the sick. When he sent the disciples out, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. And so in this passage, the word sick is referring to someone who has a physical malady. And so let's take that interpretation of the word sick referring to someone who is physically sick, and let's go back to James and apply what James is saying. Notice verse 14 of James 5. 
It says if you are sick physically, here's what you should do. You should call for the elders of the church. Now, who are the elders? They are those who are the leadership of the church. 1 Timothy 5 says they've been given ruling authority. They provide oversight in the church. The word elder means someone who is mature, someone who is older, someone who has wisdom. They are to call the elders of the church, and they, that is the elders, should pray over him or her after anointing him or her with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, if you're sick physically and you call on the elders of the church, the olive oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Mark chapter 6. When they went out to heal people, they would anoint them with oil. It was a symbolic act representing the Holy Spirit because oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so it's as if we're praying, Lord, may the Holy Spirit heal this person of their cancer or their physical malady. And so the elders anoint this person with oil. And notice what happens in verse 15. It says the prayer of faith. Now that would be the faith of the elders or the faith of the sick person will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. In other words, when they come in faith and they anoint that person, that person will be healed physically. Now, you say, well, Mike, I know of people that have gone through this process and they weren't healed physically. Well, James is not making a carte blanche promise that if ever you ask for healing, you're always going to be healed. Now, there's a branch of theology today in the health and wealth gospel. They basically say that healing's in the atonement. God has deposited, they say, healing physically in your spiritual bank account. All you got to do is take out your ATM card of faith and withdraw that healing. And here's their rationale. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that uh, Jesus bore our curse for us. That's true. And they say sickness is a curse. And if Jesus bore our curse, that means he bore our sickness. So if Jesus bore our sickness, we don't have to bear it. Therefore, God has guaranteed every Christian healing if they're sick. All you have to do is persist in your faith and you will eventually be healed. Well, there's a half-truth in what they're saying, but they're misinterpreting the Bible. The Bible says God does heal, but he does not heal everyone. You have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So when James is saying that if you pray in faith, the elders pray in faith, James is not saying that every single person is going to get healed. Because the Bible says in 1 John 5, we must pray according to his will. But here, James says pray, and if it's God's will to heal you, he'll heal you. And if he or she has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now, the implication here is that the sickness may have been caused by the sin. And again, just to be biblically balanced, not all sickness is the result of sin in a person's life. That's the danger of the prosperity theology. If you don't get healed, they're going to say the problem is not with God, the problem's you. There must be sin in your life. And there's a half-truth there. Sometimes sin can cause sickness, but not all the time. But James says here, if there is sickness there may be sin involved. And he says, if you forsake your sin, confess your sin, you will be healed. So you say, well, what's the practical application? Well, for you, it simply means this. If you're struggling with a physical malady, cancer, some type of issue, back issues, or whatever else is going on, it is up to you to initiate a conversation with the elders or the leaders of the church 
And by the way, we pray every Sunday morning at 8.30. We're going to be doing that there. If you come to one of the rooms here and you need healing, we'll have oil there. We're not going to do some charismatic line where we knock you in the head. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is we'll set you apart after the prayer time and we'll offer up the prayer of faith. That's something that we want to do. The Bible says to do that. So if you have that, it's your job to initiate it with the leaders of the church. Now, there are some people that don't initiate it. They go in the hospital. They're sick. They don't let anybody know. And then the person says, well, you know what? The elders of the church, they didn't come to visit me. Nobody cares about me. Well, did you tell everybody you're sick? No, I expect them to read my mind. No, it's not going to happen that way. And some of you are private. You don't want to request that prayer. But listen, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. God does not heal everyone. But listen, why don't we go to God in prayer? God can heal directly if he chooses to. The reason why we don't is because we lack faith. I had a guy in a church that I attended years ago. I wasn't the pastor of the church. He had cancer on his neck. And they diagnosed it. It was clear. He called the elders of the church. We anointed him with oil and we prayed for him. He went back and the cancer disappeared. I've heard stories and stories of people that have come in faith and God healed them. But I've also heard stories where people have come in faith and the person died. So if you want to be a prayer driven Christian, James says, pray when you're sick. And the first word sick, it's used of someone who's physically sick. That's 50% of the usage in the New Testament. But there's another usage in the New Testament of the word sick. It not only refers to someone who's physically sick, but watch this. It refers to somebody who is emotionally sick or weak. In other words, they're beat up. They're struggling with discouragement. They want to throw in the towel. An example of this would be in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the Greek word is used here. It says this. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, in every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help. Here it is, the weak. That's the same Greek word used in James chapter 5. And here, it's not referring to someone who's physically sick, but it's someone who is struggling, someone who is broken, someone who is spiritually beaten down, someone who wants to throw in the towel. They've Stop running the Christian race. And he says, and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, keep in mind the context of James chapter 5. He's dealing in context with Jewish Christians that are being oppressed by the rich. Some of them were being physically beat up. Many of them were discouraged because they weren't paying their wages. They were discouraged. They wanted to throw in the towel, and they were struggling in their walk with God. So go back to James chapter 5 with that word in mind, and let's see what James could be saying here. He says in verse 14 of James 5, Is any among you sick? In other words, are any among you emotionally and spiritually distraught? You are dealing with weakness. You want to throw in the towel. You're like, God, I'm not making an impact. God, you're not answering my prayer. God, I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. You're in that funk spiritually. You're in spiritual quicksand. You're beat up. What should you do? Should you disengage? He said, no. 
you should call the elders of the church, the spiritual leaders, and they should pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. You say, well, Mike, what's the point there? If I'm spiritually and if I'm spiritually beat up, if I'm emotionally drained, why would I be anointed with oil? Well, you have to understand in that day, oil was a form of medicine. It was for medicinal purposes. Here's what John MacArthur says about those who come to the elders who were beat up spiritually, what the oil did. John MacArthur says this, and I quote, It may well have been that the elders literally rubbed oil on believers who had suffered physical injuries to their bodies from persecution. Medical science was certainly in a primitive state, and there were very few trustworthy doctors. It would have been a gracious, kind act on the part of the elders to rub oil on the wounds of those who had been beaten or in the sore muscles of those made to work long hours under the harsh treatment. Now remember, they were mowing the fields of the rich and the rich were not paying them. And so here are these beleaguered Jewish believers coming to the elders. The elders would pray for them and rub their ailments with oil. You say, where's that in the Bible? Luke chapter 10. Do you remember the good Samaritan when he got beat up? What did the good Samaritan do to the man that was beat up? It says he rubbed oil in his wounds. It was a primitive form of medicine. So James could be arguing here, prayer and medicine. Well, you can't go to the doctor. If you do, it's a lack of faith. No. Seek God in prayer, but go to the doctor. There are those today in the cults who say, well, you're never to go to a doctor. Or in the health and wealth movement, some of the extreme ones say, if you go to a doctor, it shows a lack of faith. You're only to trust God. No, this passage could be arguing for prayer and medicine. In the first interpretation, the oil was symbolic. It represented the Holy Spirit for physical healing. In this case, the oil is symbolic of medicine. It was a primitive form of medicine. And so notice what he says here. He says this, when they do that, verse 15, the prayer of faith, that is the faith of the elders and the person who's beat up, will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. In other words, what will happen is that person will be reinvigorated spiritually. They'll get back in the race and they'll start running the race. They will begin to serve the Lord with a renewed fervor. They will do what Isaiah chapter 40 says. They will mount up with wings like eagles and they will not be discouraged. It says the prayer of faith will save that sick person and the Lord will restore him to spiritual health, emotional health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Listen, many times when we're beat up spiritually and we stop running the race, it is because we have allowed sin in our life. Maybe the sin of unbelief, maybe the sin of doubt, Whatever it is, we get beat up and we want to throw in the towel and it says God will restore them. We confess our sins and say, you know what? I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. I haven't been going to church. I've allowed the enemy to attack me. There's a well-known preacher who had a young man come to his office and the young man was discouraged, beat up. He was weak like James is talking about here. And he wanted to throw in the towel. He was struggling with lust and pornography. He says, I've tried to get victory. I'm struggling. So the pastor commiserated with him, and he said, all right, let's get down and let's pray together. He was doing what James 5 says. 
So they both got on their knees side by side, and this pastor went on to say that this young man did something that he's never seen before. He got up, and he literally laid himself on the back of the pastor. And it was a gesture to say that I am weak, but I am deriving strength from you as you pray to the Lord, because I am battling. And he said the young man went out there with a renewed resolve to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when James says, if you want to be a prayer-driven Christian, you need to pray when you're sick, what does he mean by sick? There's two interpretations, either physical sick or emotional weakness or spiritual weakness. Now the question is this, which one is the right interpretation? I can't be dogmatic because 50% of the time in the New Testament it's referring to physical, 50% of the time it's referring to emotional weakness, spiritual weakness. I tend to think the second view, emotional and spiritual weakness, is the right interpretation. And here's why. Notice James chapter 5, verse 16. It's up on the screen. Notice what James says here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Not just to the leaders of the church. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is not just the elders praying for you. Why? So that you may be healed. There it is. In other words, it's not just calling on the elders of the church to pray for my spiritual struggle. I am to have people in the church that will lift me up and we are to encourage one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Now, for the record... I want to say I think both are valid. I have no problems doing both. If you're sick physically and you need prayer for healing, come to us. Let us know. We will pray for you. We will anoint you with oil, lay hands on you. We're not going to get into weird stuff, so don't get freaked out about that. On the other hand, if you're struggling in your walk, you've disengaged, you want to throw in the towel, you're dealing with problems in your life, and you need wisdom, and you need prayer, and you need spiritual vigor and strength, Come to the leadership of the church. But listen, don't just limit it to the leaders of the church. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And listen, the context of James chapter 5, he doesn't mention sickness throughout the book in terms of physical sickness. The whole book is being beat up spiritually. That's why the Bible says we need one another in the body of Christ. That's why... It is not good when you're going through trials and you're beat up to disengage from the body of Christ. Because listen, you've seen those shows where a lion will attack an animal that is separated from the pack. When they travel in packs, their strength. When that animal gets basically behind and it gets isolated, the lion can go right after that animal and grab it by the neck and kill it. That's exactly what happens to us when we disengage from the body of Christ. We need one another. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a prayer-driven Christian? I know for me, I got to work on that. I got to work on it all the time. I need to be a prayer-driven Christian. And there's three ways, according to James, that we can be prayer-driven. Number one, Pray when you are what? Suffering. Number two, pray when you are cheerful. Praise God and thank Him. And then thirdly, pray when you are sick. Whether it's physical sickness or it's spiritually you're beat up and you want to throw in the towel, James says to pray. And listen, I believe it's so important that a church prays corporately. 
This is not just individual, but it's corporate. You can measure the health of a church. One way to measure it is not only by the Great Commission are we reaching out, but is the church praying corporately? And you know what? 8.30, Sunday morning, we have prayer in one of the rooms there. I want to encourage you to come out once or twice a month. Some of you can't because of physical issues. You have kids. But listen, we have on average 13 to 16 people. That's pitiful. I'm thankful for that. But a church of 550, we have at least 300 adults, and we got 16 people coming out. What does that say about our heart in the American church? You want to know why the church in America is lukewarm? You want to know why we see spiritual impotence in the American church? Because we are not crying out to God. We are self-sufficient. We are dependent upon our material things, and we're not desperate enough to seek the Lord. But listen, I am warning you. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, although I do work for a nonprofit organization. But listen carefully. I can tell you this. There's going to be hard times coming to America. It's coming, and I'm telling you, it's going to drive us to our knees. It's going to force us to be on our knees if we're not careful. And so I want to encourage us to be out and let's pray consistently. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. And we thank you, Lord God, for reminding us that we need to be prayer-driven Christians. Father, we confess to you, not only corporately in the American church, we're not seeking you like we should, and we ask you to forgive us. And Father... We don't seek you individually many times. We get distracted. We get busy. And I pray that we'd have a renewed sense of commitment to prayer. If you're sitting here this morning with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're dealing with a physical sickness right now in your life and you need healing, I want you to raise your hand where you're seated. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I lift up all those who have raised their hand. And I ask in faith, Lord God, that you would heal them if that's your will. You would touch their body, whatever ailment they're going through. I pray for healing for them in Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with maybe spiritual or emotional sickness, you're beat up, you're tired, you want to throw in the towel, raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Don't be embarrassed. Father, I lift up those who are struggling right now with maybe trials in life or they feel lukewarm and they're struggling in their spiritual walk. I pray that you would reinvigorate them. You would strengthen them. You would energize them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would give them grace. And Father, I pray this morning that we would be a church that is marked by prayer. We would be a prayer-driven church. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. I pray for our nation. I pray for Israel. I pray for all that's going on among persecuted Christians that you would strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, we lift you up. We praise you for the good things that you have given us this morning. All the material prosperity, God, you are the source. You are the one that has given it to us by your hand. We love you this morning. We thank you. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen.